is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It's looking like Ron DeSantis' honeymoon with the conservative media will end bitterly as Fox News and Republican kingmaker Rupert Murdoch tire of the Florida governor's floundering campaign and cringeworthy media stunts. For the past year, the whispers were that DeSantis was the next Trump, precisely because he wasn't Donald Trump. A darling of Fox News for his non-stop culture war antics and hard-right record, DeSantis was a smarter, more disciplined, less chaotic version of the mango Mussolini. But the same thing that has endeared DeSantis to the GOP's big money donors, the fact that he was not Donald Trump, has become their main gripe. The man is no Donald Trump, meaning he has the personality of a fucking toilet plunger and a complete and total inability to connect with voters on the campaign trail. And now, those very same Murdoch-led outlets that helped DeSantis build his national brand are now worried that the Florida Gov's 2024 chances are, well, slim to none. The man cannot catch Trump in the polls despite being indicted on 37 felony counts that include espionage and obstruction of justice and also having been found guilty of sexual assault. Now DeSantis, on the other hand, has been found guilty of, well, just being fucking boring. And earlier this week, he even dismissed speculation that he would serve as Trump's running mate in 2024, saying, I'm not a number two guy. This despite his campaign fucking floundering in the toilet bowl of conservative politics. DeSantis is trailing Trump in the 2024 GOP primary race, listen to this folks, by nearly 30 points nationally, according to a 538 poll. So live by the sword, die by the sword. And Murdoch has turned his empire away from DeSantis swiftly with the network's most reliable DeSantis fans attacking the governor in his recent appearances. There are those that say it's just not connecting for whatever reason, not connecting with the voter, Fox News host Will Cain asked DeSantis last week. And Maria Bartiroma, who I got no fucking respect for, asked the same question in an even nastier fashion on her Sunday show, asking, what's going on with your campaign? And finally, Democratic strategist Jonathan Cott took an axe to DeSantis, saying that he was a weird guy who promotes an unpopular, hateful platform and struggles to connect with voters. And I've been saying the same thing for months. DeSantis is certainly not helping himself as he blunders across the campaign trail like a fucking creepy Mr. Magoo. A week and a half ago, his campaign shared an ad that touted his draconian anti-LGBTQ plus policies, which was even condemned by some Republicans as homophobic. This included pictures of himself sandwiched between photos of oiled up muscle men as a way of touting his virility. Instead, he was absolutely shredded by Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg for the creepy and hateful message that his campaign shared across Twitter. The ad was part of a much bigger plan to expand his base by trying to run to the right of Trump on a host of culture war issues, including abortion, attacks on the LGBTQ rights, and his increasingly pathetic war on Disney. 
Now nobody seems to be buying the act, and voters are turned off, and the big money donors find the whole thing, well, just fucking cringeworthy. And meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board, a bastion of conservative thought, issued a harsh rebuttal aimed at the draconian anti-immigrant bill that DeSantis signed in Florida. And I quote, DeSantis's crackdown will exacerbate the state's labor shortage while doing nothing to fix Biden's board of failures, wrote the Murdoch publication, adding that the immigration plan put forward by DeSantis' campaign parrots the restrictionist rights lump of labor fallacy that illegal immigrants are taking U.S. jobs and reducing wages of Americans across working class. In his crusade to go farther to the right than Trump, he is coming across, well, just plain fucking stupid. DeSantis refuses to accept the fact that he's a boring loser with an agenda that only makes sense if you are a retired Florida cop looking to shoot anyone who comes on your lawn. He's a fucking stiff and a scold and definitely not someone that you'd want to share a beer with. Instead, he's whipping out the old corporate media chestnut, blaming them for making him look like a loser. Oh, and the president of Mexico is somehow to blame as well. And I quote, if you watch the corporate media, who are they going after? Who do they not want to be the nominee? They're going after me. Who's the president of Mexico attacking? Because he knows we'll be strong on the border and hold him accountable on the cartels. He's going after me. If you look at all these people that are responsible for a lot of the ills in our society, they're targeting me as the person they don't want to see as the candidate. Yeah, sure, Ron, we're all fucking quaking in our boots because it's you, because it's me, it's me, you fucking dope. Now that he's no longer the prettiest girl at the prom, Murdoch is said to be looking elsewhere for anyone who could possibly be Trump and to stand to chance in a national election. The latest whispers involve Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor of Virginia. And last month, the Murdoch-owned New York Post shared an excerpt from an op-ed published by The Hill that named Youngkin as a potential dark horse contender in the event that Trump and DeSantis bludgeon each other into political oblivion. So the main problem here, and the only thing that no one wants to say out loud, of course I will, is the fact that the GOP may be unable to move beyond Trump or someone just like Trump. This, I mean, this fucking party is so damaged and so identified with destructive MAGA politics that they are now the tail that is wagging the dog. A monster has been unleashed and there is no controlling it. Now much of this is Murdoch and by proxy, the late Roger Ailes is doing. They conjured this and nurtured it until it took on a life of its own. I mean, just like Frankenstein. Only now, like in Frankenstein, they just can't control it. And now for the main event. Today we welcome to the show one of our favorite people from the Lincoln Project, Tara Setmayer. She's a former CNN political commentator, a contributor to ABC News, and a former GOP communications director on Capitol Hill. 
Seth Meyer has appeared on ABC's The View, ABC's Good Morning America, and HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. She was named a Harvard Institute of Politics Spring 2020 Resident Fellow. Also in 2020, she joined the Lincoln Project as a senior advisor. Seth Meyer hosts the live show The Breakdown alongside her co-founder Rick Wilson on the organization's streaming channel LPTV. She's also a fierce critic of the ongoing MAGA agenda as well as the damaged GOP that has grown like a cancer for the hard right. I mean, this is truly an incredible conversation. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Tara, yesterday you and so many people, myself included, we had strong reactions to Trump's, I mean, typically deranged rant about supposed cocaine that was discovered in the White House. Now, first, he claimed that it belonged to both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Joe Biden, right? Then decided that special prosecutor Jack Smith was a crackhead. In response, you wrote the following, and I quote, the mainstream media is just going to let this insanity slide? Trump's behavior is insane. The rantings of a deranged lunatic and all we get is a collective shrug. Normalizing Trump's lunacy puts our entire democracy in peril. Now, I'm curious what it was about this rant versus the daily barrage of stupidity and lunacy that made you especially angry. Well, because he doesn't he gets he gets away with stuff that the rest of us wouldn't. And now when we start to get into outside of the political arena, which is often subjective, we're in the legal arena now. And he is accused of very serious crimes. And the fact that someone who it's bad enough that he was elected president of the United States the first time, but now he's running again. He's the front runner for the president of the United States, the most powerful position in the world. And he's ranting against a special prosecutor like a lunatic, saying things, making accusations about cocaine use, calling him a crackhead. I mean, these are the rantings of a lunatic and it just gets a shrug. No one seems to care anymore. And I, you know, I, I worry that we become so normalized to this, desensitized to this, and it's been normalized so much that people just shrug it off. And yeah, that's just another Donald Trump rant. No, no, we can never, it would be different if he was just sitting in his Bedminster or Mar-a-Lago resorts, just, you know, eating well-done cheeseburgers and, and, and steaks with, with ketchup and not doing anything other than ranting on Twitter. That would still be kind of, or Truth Social, whatever it's called. That would still be alarming enough, but you could just be like, eh. But he's literally actively running to be president of the United States again and making these outrageous statements that go against our judicial establishment, our law and order, our democratic norms. So things like that, it irks me more because it's like, are we not seeing this? Am I? Are we not watching what this guy's saying and doing? This is insane. This is nuts. Stop nor normalizing it. We can't ignore it. Yeah. So for me... I was especially angered by this rant because, as I had stated on an earlier podcast uh, when we were talking about the drug situation that's going on right now in America, I have two incredibly close friends who died of overdoses. 
Uh, both happen to have been on opioids, but one of them who, when I say that he died, I mean, his body is not dead. Unfortunately, he is um, completely um, void of any brain function. Um, and he was very sorry. A significant. Sad. I mean, he's my, he was my best friend since the age of five. You know, it's, um, it's not something that you make fun of. Nobody would be Correct. making fun of this if it was happening in your, during your administration. And it just lacks any sensitivity to what Joe Biden went through having to deal with a son who is suffering from an addiction. All right. And, you know, it's just, it's cruel. It lacks empathy. But then again, you're so right. We have normalized Trump's stupid behavior. And mm -hmm. I keep thinking to myself, where are the people around him that are supposed to be taking care of him? If I was still in that orbit, I would have said to him, absolutely not. Okay? Well, would he have listened? Do Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. But the problem is the Boris, the idiot Epstein's and then Ugh. this Walt Nada and, you know, Dan Scavino, you know, a, a fucking caddy, turn, a fucking caddy <laughs> who turned, you know, um, uh, general manager of Trump Briarcliff Manor to all of a sudden now <laughs> assistant deputy chief of staff. I mean, yeah, it's give me a fucking break. And the reason that they that they have become where they are is because they don't challenge him. They don't say, boss, you can't do that. It's, it's cruel. It's wrong. It lacks, you know, it lacks president, presidential sort of, um, appearance. It's everything that you would slap your kid if they said that to somebody in school, but we've just as, I mean, we've just accepted and we accept it. It, on a daily basis, yeah. right? Yeah. It, well, doesn't that epitomize Trump? Everything you just said and everything that, that that post represents, it's a microcosm of who he is. And it's a microcosm of who he has shown us he is and who his, his record shows us he is. And he's gotten away with it his entire freaking life. That's what's so frustrating about watching this whole thing unfold. It's like, you know, and God bless Mary Trump. I love her. And she wrote a great book. And that book gave a lot of insight, I think, into why Trump is the way he is from his childhood, his relationship with his dad and his mom and his siblings and all of that. It was it was really insightful coming from a, a fellow family member. And I think about a lot of the different scenarios that she writes about in her book when Trump acts out like this. And I'm like, that's great. But like the rest of us, the world shouldn't have to be held hostage because a man child never fully developed because of his dysfunctional relationship because he had a bastard father and a mother who couldn't care less about her kids either and died young. And so he's angry at the world and trying to prove something. And we're all held hostage as a result of it. And an entire Republican Party has acquiesced to his malignant narcissism and put the entire democracy at risk because of it. It's it's hard to fathom. And your point about the the um, insensitivity to the drug issue is actually a good one, too, because the first thing I thought of after I thought about, like, is this guy serious calling the special counsel a crackhead and making these wild accusations was 
Have you checked on your own son lately? Yeah. I mean, well, I was going to get I was going to get into that. You know, I was going to get into Don that Jr.? because I, I mean, Come look, um, of the three kids, I would say that I was closest with Don, and you know, Don is very was has been very open about alcoholism. Um, the way he used to party when he was younger and so on. And his, um, his ex-wife, Vanessa, really kept him on the straight and narrow. And now mm-hmm. I see, I see Don Jr. And I talked last week to Aubrey O'Day about it. And she had a I lot saw. to say, which, which was crazy. But, you know, look, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make, the statement that Don Jr. is enjoying the Peruvian marching powder or anything like that. But one thing I will say, and I will say with certainty, that there's something going on that the, <laughs> I would glassiness, the glassiness in his eyes, that's not from contact lenses, all right? Um, no. The ranting, the slurred, speech. The, slurred mm-hmm. speech, the constant use of the hands, um, you know, and so it, there's definitely something that's going on um, after hours there between him and yeah. Kimberly Gargoyle. All right. Oh, my I'm God. Not or so maybe sure. during hours. I'm not so sure. But it, <laughs> yeah, but, the, but the point is here that it's like it's obvious. I mean, you know, it really upsets me when the right and uh, the Trump folks, the MAGAs go after Hunter Biden relentlessly like this over his struggles with addiction. And because it's like, you know, how many people in MAGA world and from the places they come from have family members who struggle with opioid addiction or who have done things that they're not proud of to further their habits? It's rampant in this country. And I I knew that when when Joe Biden decided to run for president, that his campaign had to come up with a strategy to kind of cut them off at the pass because Hunter was always a liability, unfortunately. And the thing about it, though, is that Hunter Biden is a private fucking citizen. He is not running for office. He did not have a security clearance to work in the White House. He was not a public servant. He is a private citizen. Did he did he use his family name to profit? Probably like 95 percent of of of. Uh, children of political figures or of people who are have stature that's that's the american way okay um was it right is it unethical that's a different discussion is it illegal so far there's been a nothing burger there but they have zeroed in on his um on his vices that he has tried and struggled with over the years and how he now is on the straight and narrow it seems in such a cruel way that completely dismisses the struggles that millions of families have endured with a family member or a loved one that's that's had addiction or lost someone to addiction. And the Biden and the Biden campaign, I was I was saying this during 2020, that they they needed to get out in front of it. And and so that every time that the MAGAs or the right wing media went after Hunter in such a cruel way that people were just like, you know what, you guys are assholes, like cut it out. And I didn't know if they were aggressive enough necessarily. And I think that was to the frustration maybe of Hunter's team, which is why when he went out and did that interview during the 2020 campaign on his own, that unvarnished interview where he talked you know, very candidly about what he went through and acknowledged it, that was a, that was a good offense for them. And 
I think from outside of the, the, the shittiness of the MAGA world, I think most Americans look at that situation and go, enough, enough, cut it out. Like Hunter Biden had issues. He got his life together. His father loves him and has tried to be there for him. And that's it. If he's done something illegal, then charge him. If he hasn't, move on. And they just look like, they just really look desperate because they don't have anything else. They have nothing else. So they just exploit the Hunter Biden situation. Meanwhile, Don Jr. is clearly in some type of spiral and desperately needs an intervention. But they don't give a shit about that. Yeah, look, it's not that every family has some story as it relates to drug addiction. There's not a single American that doesn't know somebody, mm-hmm. whether it's a family member or a friend, that has Correct. either a drug addiction or unfortunately is right and in, or, or has passed as a direct result of mm-hmm. drug addiction. And the lack of empathy that Donald is showing towards the Biden family, the lack of respect and acknowledgement of how hard it must be as a parent who cares about their kid to see mm-hmm. and not be able to to not be able to just as a parent to cure the issue because that's what we want to do as parents. We don't want our kids to even have a cold, let alone a drug addiction, and to make fun of it and then to impose yeah. that addiction onto the president of the United States and to impose it upon a prosecutor that's kicking your fat fucking ass up and down Worth Avenue in Palm Beach every fucking day, all right? And so this is, this is a man who is spiraling himself out of total control. However, however, on top of all of this crazy shit, he's raising even more money. He's raising more money. What the fuck is going on here? And, you know, I got to tell you something, because the Lincoln Project, to which you are obviously um, a major, major part of, the sad thing is that the Biden administration, in my estimation, didn't really come out with a good enough counter. All right? I agree with you. How about you start showing some videos of... People standing on in front of methadone clinics. How about families burying their children or their or the funerals of, of friends and loved ones and so on and say, this is an American struggle. This is, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, not the only big killer of Americans like guns. All right. This is right, a real problem. Right. Fentanyl in this country is a real fucking problem. And instead of doing that and saying for Donald Trump to say the things that he's saying about my son demonstrates that he's a coward, that he mm-hmm. is an asshole. Right. I mean, <laughs> be 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 but straightforward. Unfit. America you know, would appreciate again, right, he's it. Unfit. I think I agree with you. And obviously at the Lincoln Project, we we have no problem going on offense. That's what we do. And it's clear that Lincoln Project needs to exist because Democrats don't seem to have that gene. It's just not in their DNA to punch back hard. 
And so it's frustrating for those of us who understand this playbook and know how to um, go after the, the, the bully. You have to go on offense. I say this all the time. Defense may win championships. Offense wins elections. And by now, you would think that the, the Biden that, that the Biden world would realize that the, when they go low, we go high. God, you know, God bless Michelle Obama. But that does not work with these people. That only works when you are acting against good faith, you know, good faith opponents. These are not good faith actors. These are horrible, despicable, deplorables, as Hillary Clinton said and was excoriated for, but actually turned out to be correct. Um, you've got to call it for what it is. You've got to play the game you're in. You can't, you cannot keep using communication strragies from election yesteryear. Okay. What worked yeah, in the in 80s, 1950s, 90s, 2000s, when people it, had respect. Right, it doesn't work. Even 10 years ago, it, you know, it was during the Obama times, things started to get a little rough and tumble, but at least the Obama folks understood how to punch back. Now, the, the Biden folks, I and I appreciate the the wisdom and the class and the decency of Joe Biden, his family and the administration. However, you have to have surrogates. You maintain the dignity of the of the White House. You don't want to become what you despise. But that's what surrogates are for. That's what super PACs are for. That's what your allies out there are for. They should be marching in lockstep, unified on a positive message, praising what Joe Biden is doing. And also every single time that they talk about what a great job Joe Biden's actually doing as president, contrast it with the nonsense that's coming out of Trump world and what the Republicans are doing. For the love of God, why don't they? What you just said about um, showing images of of the struggles of what opioid addiction looks like, what meth, you know, being on meth or fentanyl or, you know, kids in high school ODing and the fact that we have to we have to arm our local police departments and high school nurses with Narcan because it's such a problem all the way down to junior high school in some places. They should be showing those images. The American people have a very short attention span. And unfortunately, in this day and age of social media and shock you know, shock and awe television and reality TV and social media, people have to sometimes be shocked into paying attention and be armed with the facts. Don't just do, do things that are like the MAGAs do, like the right wing does. They lie and they and they manipulate but, and they use propaganda. Don't do that. Use the truth and show right. people this is the real thing going on here. And this is what this jerk off is making fun of. This isn't a right. game. I but believe me, I'm with you on that. Tara, this is a little bit different because, like I said, the one thing that Trump does and does well, he takes an issue that everybody knows it, that everybody knows exists. Immigration, mm -hmm. right? Wh whatever the issue might be. And he makes a statement about it, which has a hair of truth and, and accuracy to it, but then he distorts it for his own for his own purpose here. Here, yeah. like I said before, there is not an American that doesn't know somebody who is either using drugs, somebody who is a drug addict, who's a recovering drug addict, or who has passed away as a result of drugs. So if, like Lincoln Project, put out a 
a proper ed, and it really, in my opinion, should come from the Biden administration, not from anybody else. I'm a father. First and foremost, hi, this is Joe Biden, and I'm president of the United States of America. But you know what else I am? I'm a father. I'm a father to a wonderful, wonderful young man, Hunter Biden. But Hunter had a problem. Now, what caused the problem? I don't know. Maybe it was the death of his brother. Maybe it was the death of his, um, of his um, sister, his mother, da, 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 whatever mm-hmm. it might be, right? And really hit the core of what it's all yeah. about. Because every single yeah. person watching will be able to relate in some way, shape, or form and say, yes, for another person to make fun of to put down, to denigrate, is that really who we are? Is that really what we are as a country? And then he should do like I do on my political beatdown. Give him the two fucking finger salute and say, (laughs) look right into the camera and say, Donald, you're a fucking disgrace. All right. But I want to jump onto something because yesterday... You know, you posted the latest video from the Lincoln Project, and it goes into what we're talking about, which stated that Trump's biggest scam to date is suckering (laughs) his own followers in continuing to give him money. Now, this comes on the heels of a report from Politico and from CNN Politics and so on that Trump raised 35, I mean, Jesus Christ, $35 million in the second quarter, almost doubling his first quarter take. I think his first quarter was like $18.8 million. So this raises the very, the, I mean, seriously, this raises the very real possibility that all of this is nothing more than some sick and elaborate charade to siphon money from the working class Americans. So hasn't it always been about that, Michael? I'm sorry. (laughs) Hasn't it always really been about that? Well, sure. (laughs) From the very beginning. (laughs) You think so, Tara? Could the first reality TV president just be playing a part for the sake of lining his pockets? Do me a favor. What's give me your opinion? Oh, 100%. Michael, you know, you were there back in 2014, 15 and prior to that when he was flirting with the idea of running it was all about a big marketing scheme for himself to enrich himself he never thought he was actually gonna win and then he won and it was like oh my god and then it was like okay well what do we do now and you look at what they you know what they try to do with business interest overseas and what happened with Ivanka and her Chinese uh, patents and Jared and his two billion dollars from the Saudis and all of this was to enhance the Trump brand. And obviously it has hurt him considerably because now he was under more scrutiny and people were like, yeah, we don't quite like you anymore. He had to sell the Trump hotel in DC and you know, his brand and is made, fledgling and now. And made like $200 million on it, by know, the way. I know it's nuts. It's nuts. But he, this is always what it's been about. You know, he's hocked all of these con man products, right? From Trump steaks to Trump water, to the vodka, to the airlines. I mean, He's always been like a uh, late night infomercial con man in a, you know, in a terribly fitted suit um, with that hair. And it's worked for him. He's been a showman. And now he has suckered millions and millions of Americans into believing that he is their 
vessel. He's their savior. He's their spokesperson, that he is their representative. If I give him credit for anything, it's his ability to convince people that he is one of them and that he is their, you know, he's their champion. That has got to be one of the biggest scams ever pulled in the history of this country to watch this. And how many people, this goes to show how desperate and sad and um, lacking so many Americans are that they would turn to a fucker like Donald Trump as their champion. And that, I think volumes will be written about the sociology behind how he pulled this off. But the amount of money, not only is he suckering these people out of their hard-earned money, but he's also cost them their lives. How many Americans died from COVID that didn't have to because of his bullshit and because of <laughs> the, the nonsense that he put out there. You know, I mean, it's infuriating. It's more than just money. It costs people lives. He, he There's blood on his hands. And yet, and yet, the Republican Party, the leaders, um, you know, right-wing media, and even mainstream media at this point gives him a pass to a certain degree where they don't remind people of this. They don't constantly remind the, 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 the normal Americans out there where there's a lot more of us than there are of the wackos. But the wackos are louder as of right now. And we can't allow that. We cannot allow that dynamic. You know, we keep doing that. And then that's how the you know, that's how the wackos win. And we can't let that happen because, again, it, it goes back to our earlier conversation about normalizing Trump's cruelty and normalizing all of that. The fact that he's raising this amount of money and that people are they feel it's it's had the opposite effect. We thought that the legal trouble and the indictments, I mean, the Espionage Act, these are very serious things. And then obviously the erratic behavior, that there would be an exhaustion and people would finally go, you know what? We've had enough of this. We've had enough. It hasn't. It's turned them around to say, oh, the deep state now is going after our guy. We're digging in and we're going to support him even more. What? Yeah. Cognitive so you, dissonance is a hell of a drug. I say it all the yeah, time. It's, it's, you it's could say hard that. to break. How do you break the pattern? Well, it's really tough. You know, I mean, look, this sort of shit's been going on for a long, long time. I've mm -hmm. said to you and I've said to many of my other guests that in 2015, when we first started the campaign, that Donald's famous line was going to be, this is going to be the greatest political infomercial in the history <laughs> of U.S. politics. How about and that? And that's exactly what we're getting. But the craziest thing is how Donald has the ability to create these cult followers. Now, going yes. back into like the 1800s, you know, uh, or even going back to the Bible, you know, Satan was always deemed to be a fallen angel. And you may remember, for mm -hmm. example, in the in the um, movie, The Usual Suspect, right? When Kaiser Soze turns around and he goes, right? The greatest trick the devil the devil ever pulled, right? Was convincing the world he didn't exist. He didn't well, exist. Well, guess what? That's that right. motherfucker exists, all right? And right now oh, he's yeah. living over at Mar-a-Lardo, which, by the way, if one more it's political right? asshole it's now. on television... <laughs> doesn't call Mar-a-Lardo what it is. It is a club. It is not Donald's home, all right? Your right. home is where, it's not just where you live. It's, it's <laughs> he is a resident like anybody else that wants to stay. How he's able to stay there as long as he is, which is against the rules, 
But then again, I'm just going to say, isn't that against some rule? It is against the rules. But nevertheless, Donald doesn't acknowledge rules. And somehow or another, rules don't apply to him. But it is not his home. It was the home of former Marjorie Merriweather Post that he ended up Mm -hmm. buying, all right, many years ago and converting into a social club. Plain and simple. And they have to stop showing it because it is a magnificent magnificent property all right and it if this is, is I've your seen, I've home, never been there I've i would turn it. around and say it is a magnificent property but it is a social yeah. club with with hundreds of members right i mean hundreds of members and i can't imagine the last time you had people over to your home to conduct <laughs> a wedding right in your ballroom Right. And, and so on doesn't that, for a fee. Doesn't that, I mean, just that whole, that whole setup now that you bring it up, you know, when you think about it is so weird, you know, like that's weird. Well, he owns, he lives, he has Trump tower. Forget <laughs> like, Trump tower. Got, he's got houses across the street from Marilardo, literally across right. the street. But my point is that the guy is so incapable of having normal social relationships that he can't just be home you know like with his family and his wife that he whose name he forgets and the son who he forgets he has like he can't just live a normal life like that he has to surround himself with sycophants and ass kissers and and the adulation is his drug and it's like he can't just be with his own family or with himself and just enjoy life he's that miserable that he has to he has to surround himself with strangers who are just, you know, using him for, uh, you know, attention, for power, for access. And he goes and like DJs random people's weddings. And like, like this is what brings him. I don't want to say joy because he doesn't seem capable of joy. But like this is satis- what brings him satisfaction, I guess. There's something wrong with this. Damn straight. When he showed up uh, and he was invited to this wedding, he gets up onto the stage and respectfully, you know, you have the former president of the United States. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, um, want him making a speech, but then again, I wouldn't do it at Mar-a-Lardo. But he had, so he gets up to make a speech. And instead of talking about the bride, how beautiful she looks and the groom, what a handsome guy and what a beautiful couple and that they should have many children together and a life of health, happiness, success, (laughs) love, joy, nachas, as we like to say, right, in in the Jewish tradition for 120 years. No, 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 no. No, here's the speech. They stole the election from us, folks. Right. Quite frankly. (laughs) Right. They didn't just steal it from me. They stole it from all of us. Mm-hmm. All right? They stole it. And we have to fight back. We have to fight hard. And make sure you give money to the pack. I mean, it is so right. it is so absolutely it's, crazy and stupid but on and brand. ridiculous. But on brand. But on brand. On brand. Can on I ask you, Michael, right. I've been meaning to ask you about this. Because I told you, like, the genius of him turning it around that when they come for me, they come for you. Did he come up with that? Who came up with that? Using that as the basic, the the foundation for everything he's done. It feels like a little too intelligent for him to come up with. But did he come up with doing that or was that someone else in his orbit? 
I have no idea. Obviously, that's something that happened while I was nowhere near him or this yeah. group of people. But what Donald does is You ever wonder? I wonder that. Like, is, is, yeah. is that consistent with his, with his, with his thought in, process? Yeah, but he engages in many, many dialogues with many different people. And he absorbs what they say to him that benefits him. And only him. So is mm -hmm. it possible that somebody said that line to him and then he absorbs it and then makes it his it own? That's yeah. probably yeah. what happened. But yeah. if you think about it, it sounds like it, something it's Steve like, Bannon would come up with. You know what I mean? It sounds yeah. like something Steve Bannon would come up with because he's actually an evil genius. Um, he's a piece of shit, but he's a smart guy. And his his obsession with national nationalist populism type of um, I was going to uh, say that it's very Hitler-esque. That's consistent. It's very yes. Stalin-esque. You know, it's, yes. they're coming after. Yep. They're not just coming after me. They're coming after you. Make it personal right. they to is, every the single person. In that way, mm -hmm. they become your warriors. But I want to ask you this. Correct. The DOJ is, re is, I mean, they're just getting ready to bring another 30 to 45 additional charges against Trump under a superseding indictment that could legitimately bury him behind bars for the rest of his life if, he's, if in fact he's found guilty. Now, Jack Smith is likely to bring them in different venues as well as a means to an end to that runaround um, you know, of Judge Cannon if she shows undue deference to the former president. Now, the legal strategy thus far is how, to, how would they to execute this? Because it seems utterly flawless to me and really meant to ground Trump. To, I mean, it touched to grind him to dust and then really mm -hmm. to deny him any cover. What do you make of Jack Smith so far? And how do you think that he's handled the case, or I should say the cases, um, against Trump? Uh, I've been very impressed with Jack Smith. And uh, he's a no-nonsense guy. And I think Trump has finally met his match here. Because his, the fate of his future rests in Jack Smith's ability to bring this case. And so far, he has done it rather quickly um you know he's done it flawlessly to use your point um by laying things out very clearly i think jack smith learned from the from the mistakes of the Mueller investigation and the Mueller team and you know he's uh he's he's been to this rodeo before people have to understand that jack smith isn't just some random guy i mean he's he's one of the best of the best he's taken down war criminals for god's sakes the guy is not to be fucked with. And the way that he has executed this so far, I think has been um, beyond, above reproach. And the fact that they are, they are literally playing, you know, four dimensional, three dimensional chess because they have a backup for the backup for the backup, which those of us who are watching this from the outside, we have no idea what's going on inside uh, Jack Smith's team um, and what their strategy is. But it, it's it's clear that their strategy is multifaceted, that they are using the art of war and surrounding the enemy <laughs> and going in for the attack. And the idea that they would bring even more superseding indictments, uh, I think, 
gives aid and comfort to those of us who have been watching Donald Trump's professional life of criming. He's done so many things and just take away like, you know, all the things he's done decades prior to this, but just the things from, you know, January 6th and now that, you know, the documents case, just those things alone are so outrageous that it's clear that Jack Smith is, is leaving no stone unturned. And I'm encouraged by that. I know a lot of people have been very frustrated by Merrick Garland and the slow pace of the DOJ and right. It's, it's frustrating. I get it. And, and I think Merrick Garland coming from a judge is, you know, he's, he's a judge. That's his background. He's never a prosecutor like that. And so I think that he overcorrected by trying to appear fair and non-political. There was an overcorrection here. Um, maybe we'll see in the long run that that was the right thing to do. And I think you have to be very careful after the way the Trump, the Trump DOJ was, was politicized and corrupted. So I think they just why, why do you, well, I'm so sorry. But, why do you have to be why do you have to be careful considering no one from the DOJ has been held accountable for shit? All right. Bill Barr, that bloviated true. dirtbag motherfucker. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Instead, now he goes on television on CNN, hanging out with, you know, know. The, you know, the likes of, you know, um, all, all, all of their hosts talking about, well, I told Donald that he lost the election. OK, welcome back to polite society, you scumbag. All right. Or, yeah. you know, going on add and then Chris turning around and list. saying, yeah, say it again. I said you can add Chris Christie to that list of people who all of a sudden were supposed to, because he's saying the right things now, we're supposed to forget what he did to get us in, to this situation in the first place. So, so I, I hear you. you know, now you got, you got Bill what Barr I'm saying, that's standing up there. Let, you see, yeah. Mer, the mistake Merrick Garland is making, and then I'm going to let you finish your thought, but the yeah. mistake Merrick Garland is making, time is not on our Correct. side. I You're wish right. to God I can have that made into a sign and send it to him <laughs> and send it to Joe Biden. Listen, who's going to end up eating shit for all of the mistakes that Merrick Garland is making by being the slow, methodical, thoughtful, judicious, you know, individual that he pretends to be? Joe Biden. And there are Democrats that are angry at Biden and Republicans are angry at him because Donald has somehow managed to use the time period to figure out how to make himself into the victim. Yes. No, I don't disagree with that. And I, you know, the, the, the conservative part of me that that wants to be prudent when it comes to certain institutions is still, you know, there's a struggle with with that where I'm like, you know, at first I was like, you know, I'm like, Look, they need to go after Donald Trump immediately, day one, and have his ass indicted in a trial in the first year, you know? But then the other side of me is like, yes, but we don't want, again, we don't want to become what we despise. You don't want to seem overly political with the Department of Justice, and you need to let them do what they do. But there has to be a happy medium, right? There's got to be something in between. Because to your point, time is not on our side, and we're not dealing with good faith actors on the other side. These people have no respect for the rule of law. No respect for the judiciary, no respect for the process in this country. And so they're taking advantage when the other side doesn't respect the rules. The other side has the advantage because you're playing by a certain rule and they're not playing by those rules. So what do you do? And I think that there's been a struggle for sure with Merrick Garland. I think Merrick Garland's a good and decent man. I think he's well-intentioned, 
but I think he's been outmaneuvered a few times oh. too many by the Trumps, you know, by the MAGA I'm side. Not- um, yeah, but Jack Smith Tyra, is not. not but, Jack, but my point yeah. is, Jack Smith is not. So thank God, the best thing Merrick Garland ever did was pick Jack Smith. Right. See, I'm not casting any um, denigrations upon Merrick Garland in terms of yeah, his no, I know intentions or the type of person that he is. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. All right. Yeah, he's just the being problem outmaneuvered. is he's the wrong person for the AG's job today. Right. That's just that to me is just there's an argument accurate. to be made for that. All right. Sure. And yeah. And you it's, need to and be it's more a problem because yes, because Trump knows how to take advantage of situations. And I'll tell you, you know, who I give a lot, a lot of credit to. I give a lot of credit to Alvin Bragg. I give a lot of credit to Tish James. They came right out and they said, now, look, I was also very critical of Alvin Bragg. This case. Yeah, he didn't come out right away. (laughs) That's right. He delayed it a year um, post what Mark Pomerantz, who was the lead prosecutor, thought was ready, you know, to be to be Mm -hmm. filed. Could you imagine a whole book about if that's right? But could you imagine if Alvin Bragg on day one would have listened to Mark Pomerantz? how much further along we would be. And I, I just had recently Michael Smirkanish on my show as well. And I spoke mm-hmm. to Smirkanish, and I have so much respect. I, I, th- he, I think he's great in every way, he's, shape, or he's form. the best. He really is. He lets he's me guest great. host his show, which is, which is a, a quite the honor. I'll be guest hosting August 4th, by the way. So. Well, all right, I'll, I'll, <laughs> be, yes, I'll be on. I adore so, Michael. <laughs> so, and he's just fa- he's fantastic. But we have a massive disagreement. He thinks that Alvin Bragg should not have brought this case first, that mm-hmm. in the minds of Americans that it, you know, diminishes, uh, you know, Jack Smith's uh, two cases, the January 6th insurrection, as well as the Mar-a-Lardo document case. And I say I, I don't see it that way. In fact, if it was you, Tara, and like <laughs> I said to Smirkanish, if it was you who did what Trump did in the Alvin Bragg case, you'd be locked up already. You would have been indicted. You would have been tried. You would have been convicted and you would have been sentenced already. Why does Trump get a pass? Because he's committed so many worse offenses. This is the Al Capone theory. They didn't get him on murder, extortion, racketeering, bootlegging, blah, 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 blah. They got him on tax tax evasion. evasion. Who gives yeah. a shit? There, there are so many people in America that probably like seven out of 10 Americans want to see Trump held accountable. And you know what? For something. Um, <laughs> yes. For something is right. Now, right. look, I, I want right. to go to a different area here because you recently went on MSNBC to discuss how the rallying around Trump is not because of his economics, but instead the polarizing othering that he exploits. He and his mm-hmm. base betray what the Republican Party has historically stood for. So I'm curious, Tara, if you believe that there is a way back to the party of Lincoln for the GOP, and if so, how the fuck do they even get there? How do they um, get there when you have well, Donald Trump with that big, with yeah. that big ass, you know, standing in front of a door, not letting it open or not letting anybody pass? Yeah. Um, well, that you pulled that from a segment I was on with Michael Steele and my good friend Rena Shah, um, both very, very close personal friends of mine. I've known Michael for over twenty years, almost twenty-five years now. Good gosh, and I've known Rena for many years. 
And we have a fundamental disagreement about whether the Republican Party can be saved. Um, Michael was instrumental in keeping me in the party through the Trump administration, believing that we as the same people um, could make a difference once he's out of there, that we could help the party course correct, because if all the same people leave, then only, only the crazies are left. And I there were several times during the Trump administration where I was like, I'm done. And he talked me off the ledge to say, you know, come on, we, you know, we can let's stick it out and try to keep them, hold them accountable from within the party. And I said, OK, OK, fine. But then after and many people know the story, if they follow me, they know that after Trump refused to concede the election and just disgraced that critically important cornerstone of our democracy, the peaceful transfer of power, I said, I've had it because it, it was clear to me that there was nothing Trump could do that would make the Republican leadership stand up and say enough is enough, even if it meant causing a constitutional crisis. So I believe firmly and, and you know, Michael's still in the party and God bless him. And I wish him luck with that. Uh, I don't know for how much longer, to be honest, but you have to ask him. You got to get him on the show. I'm sure he's been on with you before. Yes, he did. He was on, um, he was on yeah, a week yeah. ago. I bust his chops all the time about this. And uh, so it's kind of an ongoing joke with us. But I, I think that, you know, he's he's reconsidering whether it can be saved also. And Rena is, an, you know, someone else who who believes that she can try to make a difference from within. And I wholeheartedly disagree at this point. The Republican Party should be burned to the ground. They have violated every possible principle, every foundational principle that the party stood for for 160 years. And it's uh, as long as you have people who are despicable sycophants and ass kissers like Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy and people like Marjorie Tra Trailer Trash Green and uh, Lauren Boebert and these morons, the Matt Gates of the world, as long as you have these people elevated in the Republican Party um, and the leadership to chicken shit to stand up and say enough is enough, the party is doomed to destroy itself. It's been on a path to destruction since Donald Trump came down the escalator and the party leadership allowed him to get away with all of his shit from the get from the beginning, from insulting John McCain and his service to all the litany of other things that followed after that. Once they let that that cancer in, it's been a it's been a wrap. The malignancy of this has metastasized through the entire body of the Republican Party and it cannot be saved. So I don't think so. I think that the party has to continue to get its ass kicked definitively at the polls. The fact that Donald Trump, even though he lost in 2020, Republicans gained seats in the House and 74 million plus people voted for this motherfucker. It was yeah. not a repudiation of Donald Trump or of MAGA or Republicans. It was not. It was a split decision. Yes, he was defeated, but MAGA has has become mainstream. That is our fight. We have to make sure that MAGA is defeated because MAGA and the Republicans are no longer, they're indistinguishable at this point. I know that the Biden administration is trying to say all the MAGA, ultra MAGA Republican, fuck all that. Okay. The Republican party is MAGA period. There is no distinguishing it. And the couple of handful of people who are tiptoeing around it, trying to, you know, say, Oh, well, we need to win elections and we need to do this. And no, no, you need to take this on. If you're serious about trying to wrestle the party back from this, then you have to do what, I mean, I'm very critical of Chris Christie, but you have to do what Chris Christie's doing 
if they were all doing that and if leadership was doing that and calling it out straight and calling Trump out for what he's doing and calling out the party luminaries for, you know, not standing up to it, then maybe there'd be a chance. But Chris Christie's on an island. And so, you know, there's no appetite for this in the party. Exactly. They tune him out the same way that they tune out the Lincoln Project. You're not going to get a Republican Correct. saying, oh, my God, you no. know what? I listened to Tara. I was listening to Rick Wilson. The Lincoln Project put out this great ad. Michael Cohen. I have been screaming from the fucking rooftops mm-hmm. now for how many years? Turning around and calling out Donald Trump for exactly what he is. But despite the twice impeached, twice indicted, soon to be thrice indicted, um, sexually, you know, assaulter, blah, 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 right? With yeah. everything that we're hearing about Donald, right? Not only is he leading the poll, but he's fucking raking in the money in historic, yes. historic amounts. So you're right. Historic the GOP amount. has become MAGA. They are MAGA. Mm-hmm. They are one in the same. But I'll tell you, another guy who actually slams Trump and the rest of these, I mean, you can't get rid of Ron to Sanctimonious or Ron to Snotnose or Ron to Satan or whatever you know you want to call this guy. But Pete Buttigieg recently I love him I mean he he just body slammed this asshole right with a quip he's so good that, at it. <laughs> that included him commenting on DeSantis's choice of campaign videos and you know mm-hmm. Buttigieg said and I'm going to quote I'm going to leave aside <laughs> the strangeness of trying to prove your manhood by putting up a video that splices images of you in between oiled up shirtless bodybuilders and then Buttigieg goes on to ask right what with real problems, what with real problems are you trying to solve? And to me, that gets to the crux of the problem that we now see with these MAGA conservatives. They are mm-hmm. uninterested. They are fucking disinterested. I want to say it again. They are fucking disinterested in solving the everyday kitchen sink issues that voters truly care about. But instead, all they want to do is lean into anger and hate and divisiveness through wokeism and through anti-LGBTQ initiatives and QAnon and attacking black history and on and on and on, right? Because it almost feels like that they're governing another country that has little to do with what we as Americans truly care about. What's your opinion on this? Oh, you're a thousand percent right. Um, It's, it's... (laughs) You know, watching what they're doing, I call it Counter-Earth. If anybody's ever seen uh, a Marvel movie in Ant-Man where they talk about Counter-Earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, some people call it Earth too, right? It's not this Earth. It's not this country. Like, I don't know what world these people are living in. They've created this very strange, dysfunctional hellscape, right? Yeah, this like upside down world. And But these people, they've convinced millions of people that that's what the reality is. And it's so not. And every day I'm encouraged, though, when I go across the country and like we just had Fourth of July pass by and I was at our local Fourth of July parade, which was it's a parades are a big tradition in my family because my grandfather marched in our hometown parade every year from 1947 until 2016, when he was literally wheeled in his wheelchair by the police department of which he served 40 years with and 70 years with the, with the uh, fire department. So very strong hometown roots. They literally wheeled him in his wheelchair at 90 years old down the parade route in 2016. And he passed away 10, 10 days later. So it was very parades are, especially 4th of July parades are very near and dear to me. And 
I was at our 4th of July parade here where I live in Northern Virginia. And I was just watching and looking around and, and taking it all in and saying like, it, it was a very diverse parade and everyone was getting along and the kids were running around and was waving their flags. And I saw a, a little girl, uh, this beautiful little girl, biracial like me. So I'm, I'm a little, you know, a little more sensitive to that. And she had her flag. She couldn't have been more than five years old. And she was standing. And as one of the floats came down, it was a, um, an LGBTQ float with military veterans. So they had American flags, they had pride flags, they had, um, you know, military flags and, and to show that, you know, we're all Americans here. And, you know, and that little girl was standing there waving her flag at that float as it went by. And that really touched me as a truly American scene of where we are in 2023. Like, there are so many more I have goosebumps right now. Right, I right. I should post. Yeah. I'm gonna post the picture on on my Instagram yeah. and Twitter. And by the way, I just joined Threads, which is amazing. Yeah, by the way, so did me I. On so so did it's I. I'm on th- I. I did that. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe it. It was right. fantastic. But you know, right. when it comes to anyway, this thing so with I'll Threads, thank goodness. It. But yes, I know. Thank God. I mean, I hate to you know, I hate to give praise to Mark Zuckerberg because he's kind of been you know whatever. But you know what? Yeah. Good for him, and I'm here for it as long as it doesn't it's turn into how that Twitter is. But anyway, so I, I look at all of this and I and I say to myself, you know, people like Ron DeSantis, who is another just Napoleonic complex, insecure jerk off that is awkward. He can't stand people. The more people are exposed to him, <laughs> the more they don't like him. His poll numbers have gone down and he posts something that like that, which was so bizarre and Pete Buttigieg, I hope is president one day. Um, I'll be the first to support him. I think he's fantastic and would be a fantastic president. Um, and you think the just, country would just, ever elect a gay president? I think it, it may. I mean, I mean, that's the challenge. But I think, yes, our country would at this point. You know, um, as, as hard as Republicans and the right wing is trying to demonize gay people in this country, it's the, that's not where our culture is going. It's not. There is a much larger culture of acceptance. And so, um, and and Pete Buttigieg, I think, is is the bridge that could, you know, he's the kind of guy that could bridge that gap, I think. Military service, Midwest guy, well-spoken, smart as a whip. Um, so I, I hope, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, we, we, we elected a black guy in this country. Um, I think totally, we might be able to di- totally, di- totally different, right? Totally different. Uh, well, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, well, especially uh, in light know, of the though, Supreme given... Court's recent decisions. I'm well, not, I'm not so sure. And, and who knows what yeah, else the Supreme Court, as far as I'm concerned, I see Ron DeSantis the same way I see Donald Trump, the same way I see oh, a Ted sure. Cruz and others. I see them. They're all for the sure. same. It's all about white privilege. Right. When you start 100%. bringing up Lauren Boebert, you bring up Marjorie Toilet Green and so on. What do they all have in common? All right. It's yeah. all about white privilege and keeping it to yourself. And I'm going to tell you, I, you brought up I something agree. interesting about DeSantis. All right. You may remember in this in this uh, town hall interview that DeSantis was having a high school student. A high school yeah. student with more, yeah. as we like to say in Yish, with more seichel with more brains mm-hmm. than this fucking idiot who happens to be incredibly well-educated. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's DeSantis, Ivy League educated. I mean, he's Ivy League educated. A mm-hmm. fucking high school student asks him what his thoughts are about Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection. 
where DeSantis responds, and I quote, I wasn't anywhere near Washington that day, and we have to move forward. Do you believe, like I do, that it showed DeSantis' real weakness and that he will crumble under direct scrutiny on a debate stage? A high school student asked him a poignant, a brilliant question. So good for that, so good for that student. Asks him a poignant question, and he crumbled like the snowflake that he is. You agree with what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Rick Wilson and I have been saying this for over a year on our show, the, the breakdown that we do, the live stream show for the for the Lincoln Project. And I've been saying this on cable news for over a year, year and a half now, that Ron DeSantis has a political glass chin. And it was evidenced during his campaign debate against Charlie Crist, for goodness sakes, where Crist asked him a simple question that should have been yes or no. It was about whether he would commit to serving his four years as governor in his second term, because everybody knew that he really just wanted to use that as a springboard to run for president. And yep. he looked like he got hit with a Mike Tyson haymaker. And so that was a prelude to any time. And you see when any time anyone challenges him, particularly women, challenge him in the media when reporters ask him tough questions or he gets real snotty and bitchy and, and he can't help it. And he, you know, he's so condescending. And even though Ron sanctimonious is a mouthful, it actually is quite true. <laughs> he is a sanctimonious prick. And the more people are exposed to him, which we warned about, uh, Rick and I always joke about, we, we are sick of being right. This is something else that we've been right about. The more people we predicted this, the more people who were exposed to Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail, the more they would dislike him because he is a jerk. He's socially awkward. He is sanctimonious. He's condescending as hell. And he cannot take a political punch. A high school kid rattled this guy, a high school kid with a, which should have been a softball down the middle question, fastball down the middle, right over the plate. Very simple. How do you feel about January 6th? I, well, I wasn't anywhere near there. What the fuck kind of answer is that? Were you not paying attention? Yeah. It was one of the most horrific days in American history up there with 9-11 and, you know, and like World War II. Like, what do you? I wasn't there. What a weak answer. He is a weakling. Could you imagine asking him a question? So what did you think of this Iran? Um, Iran does not knows. What did, what did you think of um, <laughs> the issue of the Civil War? Right. I wasn't there. Right. Oh, um, I wasn't you know, there. Let's, we, we, should move, we should move on. Uh, I right. wasn't there. You know, and so, really? Really? You, were, you weren't there? It's just Did pathetic. you not watch it like everybody else on television? You think that exactly. there's, were you you think that there's another? Come on. I mean, right. the fact like, how that do you not police have officers have passed, you don't have an opinion? Right. 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 I, I mean, it's just, again, it's infuriating and, and the, the cowardice just the absolute cowardice of, of someone like him who tries to portray himself as this big tough guy blah, 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 with this ridiculous toxic masculinity that he that he tries to portray when he's really just a sad, weak little boy who who can't take a position on something like, yeah, an insurre a violent insurrection against our uh, U.S. Yeah, it's capital pro it's to try to yeah, overturn the government. That's disqualifying. That tells me that you're going to be a bitch ass anytime someone challenges you and you want me to, you, you want me to hand the keys over to the presidency to I you? I don't know. We're doing okay. the same thing Fuck for Trump. But look, Tara, the hour goes by very quickly. I have one last question for you. 
because you recently wrote about the reaction to the Supreme Court's latest decision. And mm -hmm. I quote, if you're upset about SCOTUS decisions lately, let it be a reminder. Presidential elections have consequences. This is what voters bought when they elected Trump in 2016. The GOP has always been better at playing the long game regarding SCOTUS. And Democrats need to make an issue in 2024. If you would, unpack what you meant here for my listeners. Me personally, and I say this all the time, I don't understand why Biden doesn't just put an additional four people onto the um, Supreme Court. Just do it. Just do it. That's what Trump would do. And let's get some, re let's get some reality back into a court whose reputation has been so badly tarnished. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the court packing issue is one that has, uh, you know, it pops up every once in a while when there's Supreme Court cases that don't go the way that some people want. Uh, this is the first time we've really encountered a, a Supreme Court dynamic like we see right now, which is openly hostile to so many uh, settled law questions. And um, yeah, it's alarming. I personally, again, this is the, the the conservative side of me that doesn't like too much change to our institutions. And I, I worry that if Biden does it, then the next Republican president comes in and then they do it. And then where do you draw the line? So um, I worry about that. Uh, so I'm not on the on on board with uh, just adding a couple more Supreme Court justices to it. What I think is more um, appropriate is that we are responsible as citizens. We are responsible for the democracy that we have. And we have got to continue to educate people, get them to pay attention and recognize that there are consequences to elections and elections only function. And the results happen as a result of who gets out and votes. And I've said this to you before, and I say this repeatedly, I firmly believe that there are more of us than there are of them. And as long as we mobilize and inspire and empower people to recognize what's at stake, then we will, the good guys will win. Um, and may, it may not happen fast enough for some folks, and I get that, but we always have to remember what happens after, right? What happens when the next people get, in, get into in, in charge? Look at what Republicans did when they won the House back. We have to be careful what traditions and what institutions we Take it, if we take it a step too far, the next ones may take it even further. And then what? You know, so that's why I, I'm not completely on board with adding more justices. But what we need to do, we have an opportunity to reelect a president that understands those institutions, that respects them, that respects our democracy. I know he's not ideal for everyone, but you've got to look at this is what happens when you play around and say, well, he upset me because we didn't get student loan forgiveness and Fuck all that. OK, I understand it's important, but the president of the United States can't just, you know, wipe away student loan debt. There's there's a process. So he tried. He tried and it was struck down. Don't penalize him for making the effort and it not working in the system. Get it. You know what? Elect more people to Congress, elect more senators who are in agreement with you. Don't just, you know, tap out and say, ah, well, I'm, I'm you know, forget it. No, the single issue for, for every voter should be. What's at stake for our democracy continuing? Do you want us to continue? No, nah, that's not, not what they're thinking Do you want anymore. Us? It's yep. not, but it needs to be because people don't understand the consequences. Yep. And that's why they're, I use the example of what's happening with Everyone's only thinking with, with their pocketbook. Yep, they're only well, thinking with their pocketbook. Too. And let me, 
And let me tell That's you the bigger problem too, but here. None of that matters, though, if you if we are no longer in a free market, open society. Correct. It doesn't matter because guess what? Then the economy will tank because America is we are the leaders of the world. And if this kind of shit happens over here, guess what? We won't be anymore. And China will be. Is that what we want? Yep. So I really and I and I something else I tweeted recently, too, was I implore my Democratic friends to stop denigrating Biden, stop talking about his age, stop talking about alternatives and focus on his accomplishments, what he has done for this country, what he will continue to do, what he has done for the American people and contrast that with the alternative. Get a unified message. That's what Republicans do. They're very good at it. It doesn't matter what you ask them. They stay on message. Democrats need to learn how to do that and they will win. Amen to that, Tara, as always. So good to see you, my friend, and um, look forward to seeing you on uh, Smirkanish as the host. <laughs> yes, thank you. And every every other Thursday on The Breakdown with Lincoln Project. So make sure you follow us on all the Lincoln Project pages and, and me on social media as well. And, you know, I'm on MSNBC a lot, too, so you can catch me over there. But thank you, Michael. You it's it. always I'll... a pleasure. I, I, I love you, my friend. See you soon. And now for today's mayor culpa. In speaking with Tara Setmayer, I worry that the monster that Trump unleashed is no longer controllable by him or anyone for that matter. If we are to move past the divisive politics of the MAGA era, we need to convince people who worship Trump like a deity and believe that he won the 2020 election that it was all a lie. That Trump has given a group of people who are invisible to most of us a voice and an identity. No matter how toxic it became, he actually gave them power. He made it okay to say out loud what they had been thinking quietly for years. In their minds, America belongs to white Christian Americans and everyone else is just visitors. It's less about Trump than about what he represents. There is a whole generation now that has been radicalized and believe that they can push back against those who don't think and look like them. What's crazy is that all of this was preventable. Fox News and Rupert Murdoch gave it air and let it metastasize like a fucking toxic mold. Now he wants to rid himself of the whole thing because it no longer works, but he's stymied by the fact that there are millions of MAGA foot soldiers who have fucking drank the Kool-Aid that he was serving. Now what do you know? Well, he's lost control of a monster that he helped create. In Frankenstein, they hunted the monster down with fire and pitchforks. I mean, me, we just used this podcast. I used political beatdown. I used the media. But that's not something that we can do in this country. It's also what the most radical of them are expecting. They want that confrontation. Until then, I'm afraid that we'll just have to let the whole era pass like a bad flu or like COVID. Now it will sicken all of us, but in the end, I promise you, it will pass. I just don't know when and how much damage that it's going to cause. And that's not something that we can just sit back and allow to happen. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. 
Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth.